Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now. Hello, welcome to Emotional Badass, where Moxie meets Mindful. I'm your host, Nikki Eisenhower, life coach and psychotherapist. And on today's episode, I'm discussing the secrets that shape us. I'm going to touch on suicide, and I'm going to discuss our elders. This is one of those episodes where I ask you to bear with me. I sometimes feel called to share something and I don't quite know why until after, after I get y'all's response. This is one of those episodes where I trust my intuition and I trust you as the listener will take from this episode exactly what you need when you need it. One of the things that I want to advocate for on this microphone is to value the information and the experience of our elders. My grandmother remains the most interesting person to me, and she died 18 years ago. It will always be a deep sadness that I lost her and my grandpa, who were my functional grandparents when I was 15 and then 17. Our grandparents are historians. They're windows to our ancestry, and the family histories that shape us. The phrase youth is wasted on the young comes to mind. My 15-year-old young self didn't know how precious my time would be with them. I don't live with a lot of regret. I have worked and continue to work to transform any regret into change that helps me act through more wisdom and completes my grief process with acceptance and the grit of the hard-earned lesson. The lesson I take is to have the deep conversations when and where I can, to take no moments for granted, and to not hold back love and light when I feel it. I tell people how much they mean to me as often as I can. I tell people I value them in my life and I listen to their old timers. If they're old timers, I listen to their old timer stories with respect, knowing that I am archiving human history while extrapolating its wisdom. I regret not knowing how to get to know my grandparents more deeply and fully as people when I was younger. I forgive my younger self for what she didn't yet know. One of the sad and sometimes hard truths about a deeply dysfunctional family like mine is that communication and transparency just aren't great. We often don't know, and as kids, we often cannot know the why that contributes to the personalities, to the behaviors, the conflict resolution skills that are there and the conflict resolution skills that aren't. The reactions, the decision-making, the lifestyles of the family constellations of which we are a part, we don't know what shaped that. We're just born into the system, little naive babies. 
There can be lots of dark corners of unspoken but deeply felt truths in families who don't know how to have safety within vulnerability, who consequentially don't know how to process pain, release it, and then live beyond it. Buried pain, stuck pain, it leaves people hurting in ways they very often don't know how to articulate or work on or release, and so they just bury it. And we know that hurt people hurt people. And hurt people hurt people mindlessly and intentionally sometimes. It is most sad when a hurt person has a big old heart, a lot of empathy, and yet they don't understand how they contribute to holding on to more personal pain than is necessary. They may not understand how they might change instead of contributing to old stuck maladaptive patterns for themselves just as much as for their family trees. Sometimes we will never know some of the most important details and experiences that shaped our family trees the same way that bonsai wire shapes the bonsai tree. I am in my 40s and I shockingly am still finding things out about my family of origin that are not just interesting, but profoundly shaped the culture of my family and then my life. I found out this year that my grandmother's biological father killed himself when she was 10 years old, smack dab in the center of the Great Depression. When I found this out recently, it made my head and body buzz. What a big puzzle piece. When I look back at my life, I can see that my intuitive abilities were in play always, long before I knew words like HSP, highly sensitive person, long before I knew empath or intuitive or energy work, things that I thought were holy BS as a teenager and a young woman, life and the universe have forced me to believe in these more woo-woo concepts from the truth of my own experience. I've always been an intuitive. My family, in my estimation, has not learned how to truth speak as a step to clearing out pain and patterns instead of burying repeating pain and carrying it for a lifetime and then passing it on to future generations through different branches as people continue to have children. To this day, there is a lot of pain in my mother's side of the family. There's unspoken prescription pill problems and consequences of ongoing alcoholism and denial continue old familial patterns of pain and stuckness. My maternal side of the family has generationally buried and hidden so many painful truths. And part of the sad consequence of that is that even when we were together as a big, seemingly happy family, many of us felt a separateness, a loneliness that is more profound when we are together with people than when we're actually physically alone. Because in the human condition, we don't fulfill the human requirement of intimacy by faking okayness and hanging out. We don't fulfill the human requirement of intimacy 
by faking lightness while hearts feel squeezed and heavy by buried, unresolved issue. I grew up knowing Grammy had a hard time during the Depression. That made a simple kind of sense to me. Okay, the Depression was hard and Grammy was a kid through it. All right, I got it. As highly sensitive people, as highly sensitive children, we are the natural observers. I observed my grandmother. I observed every adult around me. I watched, I witnessed, I tried to make sense of. I learned about Grammy and the the Great Depression because I asked questions when I observed things that hit my intuition in an unsettling way. Looking back through my adult lens and my therapist lens, I can so clearly see her having trauma responses to things that I didn't understand. I remember being about, I think it's about eight years old, and watching Grammy in the kitchen picking the chicken off of the remaining chicken bones, the chicken carcass of a baked chicken, and her two daughters, my mother and her much older sister, they were the bookends, my mother the youngest of six kids, they wanted her to stop messing with that chicken. And it hit my little kid radar. I stood there watching these three women, my grandmother, my aunt, my mother, like one watches a scene. And it is seared in my mind like a scene from a play, a scene from a movie. I was puzzled that they were telling my Grammy what to do. Grammy was formidable. Grammy was in charge. Grammy told everyone else what to do in my family system, not the other way around. She was guarding that chicken carcass, y'all, like a wild animal protects its kill. I can still hear my mom and aunt saying things to her in my mind like, Mama, that chicken needs to be thrown out. It's old. It's going to make you sick. And I watched the sisters with each other look at each other and pass unspoken communication between their eyes. I saw that commentary pass between them, but I didn't understand what they were getting at, what they were saying, and why they were interrupting their mother. And that chicken she seemed so weirdly committed to. Grammy would not give up that hunk of chicken bones. I pestered my aunt and my mom for more information for weeks on end after this. The most explanation I could get was, Grammy grew up during the Depression, and they had nothing. Grammy sometimes went hungry. It's why Grammy despises waste of any kind. She needed everything to survive. And I understood in my little kid way that I could understand that Grammy wasn't just being a hard ass about wastefulness. She was scared that she wouldn't have enough one day or scared that I wouldn't have enough one day. And she was hyper aware of not wasting anything for this reason. I see her flash in my mind if I waste something today. If I see someone wasting, she flashes in my mind. I've thought about the wastefulness of our American culture a lot. If you really think about it, to waste is to acknowledge living with and through abundance. 
to waste is to acknowledge a level of safety and security that Grammy had lost at an impactful age. We often link anti-wastefulness with respecting resources and a moral compass like money, time, and the fact that others possess less. We want to respect these resources. We rarely think about wastefulness as it relates to true survival, to a sense of lack so profound one could starve to death. These are scarily deep traumas for any child to feel, to experience, to bear the burden of. I understood, even though I didn't have the words yet, the phrasing yet, of things like trauma history. I understood that Grammy had a Depression-era trauma history, a Depression-era background that shaped her and made certain things really, really hard for her all these years later. No one mentioned her father killing himself during the height of the Great Depression to me ever. Dysfunctional families don't typically have the resiliency muscles to truth speak and often don't share pertinent details with children or even with children as they become adults. Because if the adults don't know how to handle their sadness, their grief, their powerlessness, deep down they know that they cannot hold space for a child's emotions. Children have an unfiltered curiosity and inquisitiveness that so many dysfunctional families just don't know how to handle. And so they accidentally teach their children to bury and hide the truth of things. Even while we feel, whether we think of ourselves as an intuitive or not, even while we feel and sense the truth of things around us, this is in large part what constitutes psychologically and behaviorally passing on patterns like poor communication, sweeping things under the rug, poor transparency, lots of denial, lots of masking to cover up the truth, conflict avoidance, black and white thinking and behaving. When I was young, my family seemed to have two modes. My big extended family was either happy and okay or snapping and losing it. Black or white, all or nothing. That pendulum swing from happy and okay, we're all right, we're all right, to oh my gosh, we cannot hold this anymore, we are so not okay. We're losing it. When we grow and heal, we try to find some balance in the middle from that pendulum swinging. This is why self-development, taking the reins of your life and the newer family that you are creating as a soul human in your own right or a partnering human, whether you are a child-free human or becoming a parent. This type of self-development is work and it's not easy. It's vulnerable. It challenges us. It is work to not just allow whatever we have subconsciously soaked up and this life to drive the bus of our life, y'all. I want more direction in my life than haphazardly jumping into the bus of my life with no roadmap, letting my subconscious urges drive mindlessly. I want to intentionally drive myself to gorgeous views, to lovely weather, 
in all while navigating the truth. Between the ages of eight and 10, I learned the word suicide. As is natural to development, as I learned new words, of course, and difficult concepts, I possessed a fierce curiosity. Now looking back, I know that I was having empathic curiosity. I know I was having intuitive hits and intuitive curiosity as I tried to make sense of myself, my world, and the many adults and their energies, their responses, their reactions, their ideas that I grew up with and around. I felt deeply confused a lot of the time. Now I know that only some of that confusion was my natural kid confusion. Much of it was me picking up on the confusion, the masking, the hiding of truths. The adults around me had at some point decided to bury instead of clear out. I could feel that from them. The impact of these unspoken and unrealized traumas is truly immeasurable in my own life and on the entire family system and generations to come. Every single branch of that tree as it continues to grow beyond me. I both cringe and am proud of my little intuitive self. And I grieve for the child my grandmother was when I revisit my memories around learning the word suicide. The picture of that memory in my mind looks different now from the addition of the puzzle piece, the true reality that her father committed suicide. My intuition wanted the truth back then, but couldn't get it even though it was trying to find it. Looking back, I can see so clearly that I definitely could have gone to my grandpa or my aunts and uncles, my teachers, and my therapists at school to ask about suicide. But I went straight to Grammy. And I went to her over and over and over and over again. She must have felt hounded or even spooked by this child that seemed to know her secret that she never would share with me. And I know she didn't share it with me in an honest-to-God attempt to protect me. And if I go into some of that deeper psychology in an effort to protect herself from all the unresolved, unprocessed feelings of that hard truth being spoken aloud. When we write something down or we speak it, it is as if we are acknowledging to ourselves and the universe, this is real. This thing I hate, this thing that hurt me, it's real. And I am powerless to change it because it just is. We hate our powerlessness and often choose to bury something instead of deal with that powerlessness and release. What suicide, Grammy? I asked her, and she responded, It's a very bad thing. You don't need to worry about that. Catholics don't commit suicide. It means taking your own life, and God created us to live. He is the only one who gets to decide when we die. I'd ponder for a few hours or sometimes days and come back. What do you mean Catholics don't do suicide? Why don't they? But everybody else does. And she'd say, because it's against the rules of God and we follow the laws of God. I could hear the edge in her voice. I didn't know what it meant. 
I thought it meant that I was bad in the way every budding people pleaser takes everyone's uncomfortable emotions as their own fault. Sometimes her patience wore thin and she'd just run me off. That's enough of that. Time to go outside and play. My intuition just knew there was something there and I just couldn't get to it. And knowing that I wanted and I felt like I needed it, but I couldn't get it. I wonder how hard that was for her to feel for me. I wonder if parts of her liked being reminded of her father by her granddaughter or if she cringed and tried to never remember because of the pain. I'll never get the chance to ask her about that experience or her experience. Is there someone in your life that your intuition seeks information, knowledge, history of your family tree? What do you think your intuition knew or knows? What's it seeking? History and answers to our curiosity will not heal us. Information alone is not the healer that we desperately want it to be so that we don't have to work so hard. We just know and then we're good. We would love that. It doesn't work that way, y'all. I wish it did. We truly don't need to know to do the healing that we each face. I have done the bulk of my healing without ever having this big old puzzle piece of the story of my family and the cascade of that story's influence onto my life. When we can and do know, it feels good. We like knowing as people, and it helps guide us to and through our process. We can feel a self-healing compassion for the others who came before us in our family trees. They were trying as hard as they could to figure out what needed figuring, Understanding the why of our family dysfunction, the trickle-down effect, it ultimately softens us and brings us more and brings us to more compassion for ourselves and all the players on our family trees. Pain has a hardening quality. It builds walls and blocks truth and hides vulnerability. This information itself hasn't healed me. But it has given me more clarity as this important puzzle piece clicks into the picture of who I am and how I am. When we heal, we don't just heal ourselves. It is said that we heal up the line too, not just down. Everything that you do to let go of pain, to let go of confusion, hurt, masking, everything that you work on, Affects down the line if you have children, if you influence children. We very much understand that. If you let yourself journey into some hippy dippier realms, consider that this isn't a one-way street down the line. I invite you to feel it with me. For me and through me and for you and through you and back to me and through all of us. Let's practice together as an exercise to help you decide if you'd like to decide to believe in healing up the ancestral lines too. My healing has been for me in this lifetime. Very true. And, it's not or, and 
My healing is spiritually for my mother. Yes, even though I'm no contact. She too was once born an innocent child and never really grew up. So I do that work for her too and send that to her spiritually, consciously and energetically. What a healing thought to gift myself into her and our whole family tree. Why not think about it like that? Is there any downside to thinking about it like that? I think only if we're in the stage of anger do we resist that. It's okay to be there if you're there. Work through it. Maybe this is part of where you go next. I heal for my mother and I heal for my grandmother, who's been dead almost half my life now, who, like me, she had to grow up long before she was ever intended to. It's funny how they say certain things jump generations. I was very parentified. My mother was not. My grandmother was. Compassion for others is self-healing in action, y'all. Don't now or ever expect yourself to both be in the place of compassion and anger if you're angry right now. Just know that your task is to move through your process to get to the other side of that anger, to release it, and then walk with compassion for all. I can imagine and empathize that suicide in the 1930s would not have been acknowledged in the light of day and certainly not explained very well to a 10-year-old daughter. My grandmother had jet black hair and striking blue eyes, y'all. She would grow to be an avid reader with two master's degrees, a female entrepreneur, it always chokes me up a little bit. She was truly beyond her time. She owned her own bookstore. She had six kids. The last, my mother, who was born with special needs, who didn't walk till she was six years old. Grammy would eventually have 16 grandkids and be my functional mother. I can see her, little her, 10 years old. Years into the Great Depression, Losing her father to his own hand, no one to talk her through it, just bury it. She did the best she could, and I love her for it. I don't care what anyone says and how hard mental health tries to make the human condition clinical and deny spirit. Spiritual connection is part of how we heal part of how we practice resilience. It's part of how we transcend the bullshit, y'all. Something about knowing about this historical suicide in my family tree has brought me great surprising peace. I understand so simply now that the best she could do was not talk about the most difficult things, which accidentally and unintentionally created a familial landscape of just staying on the surface the child predator who entered my life and became my adoptive dad, he sensed this. Predators can sense this. I very much understand how those chips fell for my family and then for me, how they landed and impacted my life. I forgive all involved, even me, for what I just couldn't have sorted out any earlier than I've sorted it. I feel a spiritual connection to my great-grandfather, though I was born about 50 years after his suicide. 
I have no idea really what he looks like, never seen a picture, and I'm not sure any existed into my lifetime, and yet I can somehow see him. One of the great mysteries of my life is that despite great suicidal ideation as a teenager, as a young woman in my 20s, debilitating depression and an utter absence of any self-worth through those teens and early 20s especially, I have never not one time attempted suicide. No mild attempts, no serious attempts, no attempts at all. It hasn't fully made sense to me or to some of my healers over the years, to be honest. Not colleagues or bosses or professors that I shared my story with. On paper, my life can easily look like a clear-cut road to a suicide attempt. And I feel this as a deep truth. I think he's watched over me all of my life to help me get all the way to here. A guardian angel. What if his task in his death was to look over me and help me break this generational pain and curse? What if my task has been to make damn sure my branch of the family tree thrives? What spiritual possibilities might you be living out? Is there a possibility that you have had some guardian angels with you? Is it okay to invite some guardian angels in if you'd like to? What happens if you allow yourself to believe that your work in this one precious life is healing for you and healing for others on the family tree? Connection that acts like an umbilical cord, transferring, grounded, peace-finding, healing throughout the varied branches. What if that's what our spiritual connection is? Are there people in your life who will be gone one day, who hold the keys to the story of your history? Are there safe, reasonable ways to gather this information? If not, are you willing to meditate on missing puzzle pieces with curiosity, not desperation? To ask the mysterious energies that are out there all around us, will you show me that which can help me and nothing else? Can it be okay to be wrong or not get confirmation on any hunches so that we may find permission to explore? What is it that you can bring to your branch of the family tree to make it a strong, thriving, healthy tree? I hope there is something in this episode that helps you hold yourself with more respect and more light, more compassion, more patience more curiosity, more grounded rootedness. Thank you for being here as a listener. Thank you for sharing this experience of this podcast with me. If this or any other episode resonates with you, y'all have been my marketing team since the beginning. This show has been spread all across the world because of you. Thank you. Look for a future episode exploring some of my Grammy's wisdom as it relates to resiliency. Despite what she buried, she was also an incredibly resilient woman. We are deeply, deeply multi-layered, complex human beings, y'all. The more that we listen to the hard-earned wisdom of each other 
and bring curiosity to how we think about things, how we look about things, and offer ourselves some expansion just in the possibility of, what if I looked at this a little differently? My goodness, do we hold a sacred space for ourselves and everybody who has ever come before us and ever will on our family trees. If you want to learn and grow more with me and you like the way I talk and teach, come check out the Boundaries course. The discount code EARLYBIRD23 is only going to be available for a few more hours right after this episode is released. So if you're interested in the Boundaries course, jump on right when you hear this episode to use that code. And if you miss it, let that be an encouragement to come join our Patreon. You'll grab an even bigger discount code and you'll get every exclusive piece of content we have ever put up on the Patreon. And if you've attended the course in the past, check your email because you have gotten emails with a very, very special more than 50% off code. Every year, some of you come back and it is such a sharing of how, how far you've come, what you've learned, how you've expanded, and how far you're about to go. I also have an announcement to make that doesn't affect anything about your listenership, but is a change for us here at Emotional Badass. We are changing networks and we have loved our time with Sober Powered Media. We hope to continue working with them long into the future. We are joining a new network called Airwave Media. Emotional Badass is now part of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. You can visit airwavemedia.com to check out some of their other great shows. We are very happy and excited about this change. Light and love. I'm an emotional badass. You are an emotional badass. And together, we are where Moxie meets Mindful. Light and love. And I will see all of you next time for a brand new episode. And I look forward to meeting those of you who I see signing up. Bye-bye. <laughs>